0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at Leroy.com. We're back in Judges. We've actually turned a chapter. We're in chapter six of Judges, and we will be kind of starting a new new series here towards towards Gideon, towards him, where he's not mentioned today, but that's where we're. We're heading towards in these next few chapters here. So specifically, we'll be looking at Judges 6, verses 1 through 10. Last week, we were in Judges 5, and we had some pictures. It was kind of the poetic version of what had happened with Deborah and Barak and Sisera and Jabin and all that, and Kalen Collins, there he is, drew this for us amongst others and drew this army, and I love how there's music notes in here. It's almost like one of those videos that you see him walking down just praising the Lord because of what he has done, because of the mighty God in their midst that raised up leaders, raised up men to offer themselves willingly, and then the God who went, who went out before them. So thank you, Kaylin, for, for drawing that. And There's others in the back, and we invite each, each one that's interested to draw it and hand them to me, and I uh, love that. All right, well, let's look at God's Word Hopefully you're there by now in Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Listen to the word of the Lord here. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Let's pray once again. Lord, those last words are the stinging rebuke of a people who have forgotten You and have who, who have obeyed other voices. Lord, Your voice speaks through Your Word today. It's where we hear from You. And so we trust that in these words, these ten verses speak to us once again, Lord. By Your Spirit, may You use this weak preacher to communicate great truths, powerful truths of you and your Son, Jesus Christ. And may your Spirit work amongst us, even as we contemplate, as we meditate on, on these few verses before us. Help us, O oh Lord, our strength and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, it's a collective we, we are in the planting season. I know I'm not, but many of you are. Maybe even gardeners. You're in a planting season as well. Um, corns are going in. Corns going in. Beans. You see it. I mean, just driving the fields. Or maybe even today, you're seeing stuff. Guys are out there working the fields. And I'd imagine two things from every farmer who is planting his field. One is that you're looking for a good harvest. That's that's not a that's not a like a wow, Mike. That was an insightful. <laughs> idea. I think you are, right? You look for a good harvest, and two, I think you realize, right, year by year, your biggest threat, the biggest variable to your successful harvest, maybe you can correct me, is the weather. What the weather does is the greatest variable for how that harvest will come about. I know there's other things, but will there be enough rain at the right times, and enough sun, and enough, you could fill in the blank for, for a long ways, this and that, And the other thing, well, in Judges 6, we are transported to the fields and farmers of Israel. They're going to plant their fields as well, but their biggest threat was not the weather. I mean, I'm sure they thought about it, but their threat actually had a name. The threat was Midian. That was for them in their day. The harvest might be great, might be a wonderful harvest, but there was a danger that persisted. Would they get some food this year, or was Midian just going to come in and take it away from them? And it got so bad that they carved out caves to hide some of their produce of the land, the Word of God tells us. But even those caves would not truly save them. A plague worse than locusts had really just descended on this people. So what Brought them to this point, this desperate point. Why were they once again? We're, we're used to this, right? They're such a perilous situation. They're threatened. On the one hand, why did many on the one hand? The answer is quite simple, right? It's they did evil. They, they sinned. Israel would reap in figurative lay. They reaped what they had sown spiritually. They had sown evil. They would reap the consequences of that. But I also want us to see below that, once again, to see that there is consequence for sin. I must say, that. I don't want to hide that out. But underneath that as well is to see the gracious hand of Israel's Lord amidst their evil and their sin. So Israel, they got what they deserved, while at the same time they received from the Lord what they didn't deserve. Hopefully we'll, we'll work that out a bit. They received God's grace. How is that? Where's grace in this? I don't even see the word grace here. They were brought low, number one. They were humbled. And number two, a convicting word from the Lord came. They were humbled, brought low. God's word came to them. He was gracious in the midst of a a sin-deserving, consequence-deserving people. So let's head to our text and look at this as we go through and see this bleak situation before them and also get to go backstage a little bit and see God's grace in the midst of their evil. Evil. Look at verse 1 again. The people of Israel, no surprise and Judges, the cycle continues, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. The Midianite people, believe it or not, maybe you know this. They are actually distant relatives to Israel. Abraham. They go back to Abraham around 2000 BC, so maybe 700 years prior to where what we're reading here in Judges. Genesis 25 tells us that Abraham took another wife uh, after the death of Sarah. Actually, I think it took a few, but Keturah was one of them, and Keturah would bear. Abraham many sons of whom one was Midian. Abraham's sons through his other wives concubines they were sent away. Isaac was not but they the rest were sent away to the east. And so you'll see uh, later on verse 3 there's that connection the people of the east. Maybe there was this idea with the Midianites. But lest we think it was a happy family relationship here. Oh, great Cousin, how are you, Midian? It it is not going well in the family relationship department. It was, really in the recent history of Israel, it was a relationship of enmity, There's strife. Why? Because Israel had executed the Lord's vengeance some years back on Midian. There was war, there was battle. So here Israel is given by God into this, really an, an enemy's hand. And what a reversal it is for Israel who had taken on Midian years prior. But again, just notice these these words that are just put in your text in verse 1. God, what did he do? God gave them, Israel, into the hand of Midian seven years. God is not absent in their evil. He's He's actually present. He's not committing the evil, but his sovereign hand is present. It's, it, you might say it's sovereign, a covenantal discipline with the goal of reforming God's people and preserving them. A seed would come from them down the line. And yet here, they must suffer the consequence. They've rejected their Lord. They've rejected their King. There is consequence. Israel would face oppression, though God would work through this. Look at the description of the oppression, verse 2. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. I love it. you see even the details here of, of Scripture that we're given? Here's, here's Midian. They're oppressing the land. Here's Israel digging in the, ho- uh, the hills and mountains. We'll see why in a, in a moment. We've already read it. Why they're digging. Even Israel today has has many caves. I saw one article said 1,200 registered caves and, and perhaps thousands more or a thousand more, something like that. I put, just for fun, I put some pictures in here. You can do a Google, you know, caves, Israel, that sort of thing. I'm not saying all these were dug right at the time of Judges, but this just looks like a fun journey. Maybe you've been to Israel and been to some of these caves. Here's one of them, just kind of an entrance to it. Thank you, Caleb, right on time, and... uh Back here's another cave. Can you see that? We're inside the cave. I mean, these are just like auditoriums. Now, this one might have been built after the time. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe in the 700s, yeah, post-Christ, something like that. But at least we can get idea, an idea of just cave upon cave in this place. They were all around. Uh, the next one, yeah. Here they're standing in the midst of it. What, a, what an amazing place this would be. Maybe this was around at the time. And then one more. If you can see, there's kind of a stairway coming down into this cave and maybe a middle rock there. and it, it, There's like all these little holes in the, in the wall. I don't, you might know more. It seems like one place I read, maybe that's where they kept their pigeons, maybe for sacrifice, that idea, or like an ancient post office. I, I don't know. I don't know. You can figure that out, hunt that down. But it gives you an idea, thank you, Caleb, of just what was, what was being built at this time, these caves Here's what's fascinating in light of building caves and dens and strongholds. It was completely unnecessary. They did not need to build a cave. Why? Because they worshipped, they used to worship, they worshipped the Lord God. Was he not powerful and mighty to save them? He'd have protected his people. He would have thwarted the enemy time and time again had they obeyed his voice, as we'll see in verse 10. The Lord's presence was exchanged, and you end up building caves and dens and hiding. Kind of the way it is always when we sin, right? There's hiding involved. They abandoned their true refuge and joy, and they pursued a counterfeit God. Look at verses 3 and 4. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. They they literally did not leave any life-giving thing. They did not let any life-giving thing remain. The word kind of has a a life meaning to it. In ESV, you've got in verse um, 4, they leave no sustenance. The NIV puts it this way. They ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. No plants, sheep, ox, donkey. Don't you need those to plant? Don't you need those for, for life? Again, here's the background for the caves in the dens and the strongholds. I mean, why not? Let's try to hide some food. Maybe we'll hold them off if we know at some point the raid is going to come upon them. And again, all this the result of a habitual sin of God's beloved people. Their sin. Maybe they thought, oh, this will bring life. This will bring joy. Maybe this will bring the rains even. Maybe worshiping their gods, the foreign gods of rain or, or the weather, whatever that was, it in fact brought death and captivity because what was life was dying was taken the the land reflected the heart of Israel just the land looked here's what's going on in their heart they were empty of life empty of their Lord and so verse 5 these Midianites, verse 5 for they would come up with their livestock and their tents they would come like locusts in number both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste the land as they came in. Midian here is compared to the locust. It seems like a, a way of saying, you know, bring up the locust. just seems like a way of saying there were tons and tons and tons of them. One writer speaks about the locust in the Bible. It says the Bible does not exaggerate when it speaks of swarms of locusts covering the ground. You know, like you'd read about Exodus 10, the plagues, He says, a swarm has been known to cover a hundred square miles and be so dense as to blot out the sun. A truly large swarm may contain 10 billion locusts. If you're John the Baptist eating locusts, you're like buffet time, but we're not that, and the farmers are saying, this is awful. Billions. Maybe you've seen a plague. Maybe you've seen something similar to that. That's how Midian is compared. So instead, though, of a plague of locusts coming upon the, the enemies of Israel, you know, like what happened in, in, in Exodus, here Israel now is likened to Egypt and they've got locusts coming upon them. God is disciplining them. And so look at the result, verse 6. Here's the result of all this. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. The word there is very. It should be in there. And Israel was brought very low, much low. And yet their lowliness breeds humble cries for deliverance. Listen to these words from the psalmist in Psalm 116, verse 6. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, same word, He saved me. So, question, is is being brought low the worst thing here for Israel at this moment? No, not at all. No, no. Had God let them flourish in their evil and go about their evil on their way apart from God? What did God do? He worked in the midst. He brought them low that they might cry out to Him. God does His most glorious work, I think we could argue, and gracious work in the lowliest places. Think about the Son of Man, humbled to the cross, the lowest of lows, dying on a cross, even though He deserved creation to bring Him glory. And yet through His humility on the cross, Christ Jesus brings us new life. God's grace here brought his people low through destruction that they might find him. Talk about our own lives, but maybe you can relate to that sense of your low point and hopefully as you look back in your life as a believer, you say, praise God for those because there I saw the Lord and I rejoiced and I worshipped in the midst of that. Well, God's gracious here so Israel cries out to their Lord they cry for help and here we find ourselves at God's answer in verse 7 I'm going to read 7 and just just a bit into verse 8 so now they've cried out to the Lord now what so when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel the Lord sent a prophet isn't this interesting? Because we're ready. If you've been following along in that cycle of the judges, uh, we talked about there's, there's corruption, they do evil, there's the, the consequence for it, like Midian, there's the crying out, and what typically comes next, there is a deliverer that comes. Well, this time, there's a prophet. Dale Davis writes this. He says, here Yahweh does the strangest thing. In fact, it appears ludicrous. Israel cries for relief, and Yahweh sent a prophet to the sons of Israel. That would be like a stranded motorist calling a garage mechanic for assistance, and the garage sending a philosopher instead of a mechanic. Israel needs deliverance, and Yahweh sends a prophet. That's what he says. So, why the prophet? Let's read on. Second part of verse 8 then. And through 9. And he said to them, here's what the prophet said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. The Lord here begins to lay out once again, who is he? Who is this God whom they have not followed? What's his character? What has he done? What's his covenant nature even as we'll see as we go on into verse 10? His covenant nature with his people. Where he's going to say, I led. Do you, you see all the, the eyes in here? I led, I brought You out, I delivered you, I drove them out before you, I gave their land. Hear that emphasis? This is what God has done for his people. Five powerful descriptions, I think, of the God who they chose to turn away from. God uses the words of this prophet to graciously convict Israel. Can you imagine hearing these? He led, he delivered, he brought us out. What have we been doing? Those words come through the prophet here. He's their covenant keeping God. And then verse 10 just kind of just drives it home, where the prophet says, "And I, or through the prophet, God speaks, the Lord speaks, thus says the Lord, verse 10. "And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice." They're some of the same words the Lord had spoken to Israel at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. I didn't do a study, but I think this is throughout. I am the Lord, your God, that phrase. The Ten Commandments, that's how they begin. They begin with God establishing himself to Israel. He says, I am the Lord, your God, thus here's what you're to do in these that we're familiar with. They're in covenant with this God. Earlier, even in Exodus 19, God said, if you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. goes on to say, in a, You'll be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And yet, as we study Judges 6, as in so many other places, here's Israel once again not obeying the voice of, of their Lord, of the Lord. So why the prophet? Why the words here? God certainly could have remained silent. He would have been just to offer no answer to Israel. They had sinned. He was just to give them that consequence for their sin, and yet he speaks. He communicates through words to his people. A a thus says the Lord, you've not obeyed my voice. And here we see God's rebuke alongside God's grace. One commentator comments here and God's purposes in this, this kind of this section. Here's the purpose that they, that Israel might reflect, while is speaking, that Israel might reflect and might recognize in the oppression which crushed them, the chastisement of God for their apostasy, and so be brought to sincere repentance and conversion by their remembrance of the former miraculous displays of the grace of God truth truth which is ultimate reality brings one to sincere repentance and conversion god's words here i believe they're meant they're meant to convict the heart and they're meant to lead the heart to true repentance to the lord God's grace tells them. His grace is telling the truth. Grace speaks the truth. You have sinned. It's not like, hey, I'm still your God. Don't worry about it. It's okay. No, you you are far off the mark. God's grace speaks that to them that they might be led in their lowliness back to Him once again. Well, this passage as a whole just sets kind of the broad setting as we get into more of, of life uh, later on here of Gideon. We see their evil, once again, we're not surprised. We see the oppressor Midian. We see God's grace already at work in, in humbling them and speaking gracious words to them that might convict them. And as we go, we'll see this God who does bring deliverance to them, though it's in a package that we might not expect might say isn't there somebody better to deliver them and on the one hand yes there is somebody better he will come later christ the son of god and yet we're going to see gideon one who was pretty weak from his clan was in the weakest clan was weakest in manasseh least in his father's house and yet god's strong presence will be in the midst of this weak and flawed man named Gideon. We'll look at that in the weeks to come. As we close, just by way of application thing again, I just want to reflect back on the two themes we kind of brought out from verses 1 through 6 and then 7 through 10. Number one, this theme of Israel being brought low, being humbled. Israel sowed the seeds of evil. They reap a harvest of oppression. Today, maybe you can relate to this. Today, perhaps you have been brought low. I'm careful to say, I'm not saying all suffering, because you suffer, because you get a flat, because of this, it must be because of sin. We don't want to be, presume on that. But we can look at our lives once again. Lord, are you doing something? Is something not going well? And there is sin in my life behind this. Here, But here's the great truth. Whether you can trace your suffering or not, That again, God does His most glorious work in the lowly places. So, rather than despair in that condition, whatever it is, if it's if it's out of sin, don't despair there. Rejoice, should you mourn over your sin. Absolutely, I'm not saying rejoice. That sins nothing. God just doesn't look at it. Mourn over the sin, but don't despair, for God is pointing that out to you. Maybe even. Because we're preaching in Judges 6 today and you're here listening to this. God is shouting to you. Do you know how low you are? Do you see what's behind this? And then without despair but with rejoicing, come to Him. God would not let His people go. And over and over, He's a gracious Father. He returns to those who have ran fast to Him. Instead of wallowing in that lowliness, rejoice for it. Let it bring you to the Lord. Number two then, verses 7 through 10, this idea of not obeying the voice of the Lord, failing to hear or obey, interchangeable words. Israel is reminded of their God who says, "I, I led you, I brought you, I delivered, I drove, I gave. And verse 10, I am the Lord your God. God would raise up Gideon to deliver Israel. That's what we're going to read about later on. But as we said, maybe some 1,300 years in the future, God would bring up the true deliverer. I want you to turn to John chapter 10, verse 10. You know, as I look at this passage in some ways i feel like boy somehow we land here often maybe you maybe when i say john 10 you instantly know where that's that's going by now that's a good thing um but it's just rich and again god speaks he's he's, he's working with israel but but here we see it so john 10 in judges we there's a prophet prophet had come to israel out of their cries for deliverance with words from god and now in John, what would John say? The word has come. And here's the word. We're going to get a glimpse of this word in John 10. I'll just read uh, verses 10 through 16. There's other places you could look at, but here's verse 10. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, the thief, you know, as he thinks about his shepherding and the sheep, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came The Lord has come in the flesh. Jesus Christ, he has come to lay down his life for wandering sheep who were following another master. And what's the promise of verse 16? They will listen to my voice. The reality of Christ's entrance onto the stage of redemptive history is a new covenant where hearts would be changed. God would write himself on the heart. He would be their God. They would be his people he would redeem a people that they might truly know him in a land where many voices are speaking to us there are there are many voices going on in our world and in your personal right here in front of you many can i call you be attentive to the voice of god your savior let His voice be the first voice you hear in the morning. Don't be tempted to pick up your phone or, or even as I, you know, what's new in the news? What's, what's, what's going on? What's the latest thing? Let the shepherd's voice be the first one you hear. Maybe you memorize one simple verse before you get out of bed to remember. Listen for Him. Hear Him in His Word. He has spoken. All Scripture is God-breathed. is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, that we might be equipped, thoroughly equipped. Look at His Word. And then when you find yourself in the wasteland of sin brought low once again, maybe even this afternoon, maybe this morning, maybe this, this week, consider God's grace in bringing you to that low point that he might show you in humility, Lord, I need you once again. You, I have strayed away from worshiping you and I've put my eyes on myself or some other cheap God and look back towards him. Let's pray. Lord, you work in a million, billion, trillion, infinite ways for your great glory and you work amongst us You graciously work amongst the people who do not deserve it. For it is by Your grace we have been saved. This is not of ourselves. It's not of works lest we should boast. We're created in Christ to do the good works. May our boast, Lord, only be of You. In the things we create and what we build and what we do and how we live may we give glory to You and may we hear Your voice. May we be students of Your Scriptures to hear Your voice and to listen. And when brought low, may we not despair, but may we mourn for our sin and see it for what it really is and turn to You. And Lord, those in our midst that are in the clutches of sin, may we have strength and courage to preach the truth to them that they might repent and turn from their sin. Give us the wisdom what that looks like and how to do that by your spirit whom you've given to dwell with us Christ in us what a hope we have praise you Lord in Jesus name Amen You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota